Good morning, everybody. We're here celebrating on a wonderful Sunday, first Sunday in November. Can you believe it? Slight chill in the air. Some white stuff falling soon, we certainly hope. I just like to mention it. So anyways, uh, we, we are actually coming to the end of our series on our, our Growing in Christ series. We have this message, and then next week Jim kind of has kind of a, a, kind of a wrap-up and update, kind of a, a closing um, to the series. And this week we're going to be looking at our, our testimony in the world. So as we live as believers, as we've gone through all the things that we have gone through, how do we show ourselves to this world? How do we interact with the people in this world? What is our call for this life? And as we were meeting as a teaching team, I can't remember who had this idea. I think it was Jim. I'll give him the credit, even if he won't take it. So I think Jim had the idea of somebody sharing their testimony, of somebody sharing how God has worked in their life, of bringing them out of this world and into his family and how we live for him. So I couldn't think of anybody better than our man Theron. So why don't you welcome Theron to the stage. Theron is going to share his story. And the stage is yours, my friend. Good morning, Faith Fellowship. I know I'm a class clown down there and all. I hate being on the stage. So y'all shoot me up some love, please, because I need it. <laughs> if you get nothing out of what I say here today, know that I love God. I love him deeply because he first loved me. The Bible tells us clearly that uh, they will know you by the words of your testimony. So I'm going to give you a, a, take a brief testimony for you. And y'all should be laughing at that because if anybody know me, Theron talking in brief does not go in the same sentence. Man, life, is, life, life has been difficult in one spectrum, but the other, you know, the good and the bad is, is, is where my life is. The up and down, they, they, they plug my heart onto a monitor. It's the up and the down that shows life, not just this flat line, and I've experienced both. I grew up in Baltimore City. Unfortunately, I, my, I was that Tonka truck, there's a few gray beards in here. Remember Tonka trucks? They used to have the Tonka trucks in, in the basement. See, Brian, you <laughs> Yeah, I, I, I went from that to some darkness real early. My, my, my family, there was domestic violence in my house all the time. And I now know because of that I suffer from PTSD. You know, the, um, it had its effect. I mean, as a little boy, I have all sisters, just me. And I, and I felt that I couldn't protect my mother. And I know that um, you, you might think that you was a little boy, you shouldn't do that, but it's, it's what I felt. And I felt that I let my mother down. And it, was, it really waned on me. And what happened was um, I felt I started going dark right there. I started going to a dark side right there. And what happened was my mother put them out, put them back in, put them out, take them back in. And this one day, even after she divorced them, she, she took them back in. <laughs> and um, this one day, man, and for the purpose of church, I'm going to try to keep it clean, but I tried to do some things to him. And my mother said clearly, and I always tell the guys, when, you, when your woman is yelling at you, you still got a shot. But when they bring it down, when I heard her say, that's it. I will not lose my only son to you. I knew it, that she was really done for real that time. And he had never lived with us. And... 
I thought I hated him. This feeling just grew. And it was a couple of decades in there. But, but what happened was my mom, my father wasn't, didn't want to contribute unless there was other things, an adult y'all hear what I'm saying, given, given as a result of the financial help. And I know that now, I didn't know it then. But um, what she did was she went back to school full time and she went, because she was the black June Cleaver, she was just at home. And she went back to work full time and went to school full time. So I became a child of the street. I'm talking about early in life, y'all, 1969, just being in them environment. If you think of Perkins Homes Project, Park Heights and Shirley, Old York and Cata, um, Monfort and Federal, those are the types of neighborhoods I was in. A lot of crime, violence, it was tough to get along. And being in a household with all females, and I was this really short guy. Even when I went to high school, I was four foot ten, high school. And I spoke with a high voice. <laughs> it didn't go on well where I was coming at that. So I was always having to overdo this false image of toughness and trying to get along. So in 1969, 69, 11 years old, I picked up my first substance. That didn't stop until 1994. That played a big part in where I went. I tried to... Uh, I tried to camouflage a lot of that lifestyle. You know, went to school and all of that stuff, but it was, it was just problematic. Relationships was hard. The fear of what I was calling, what I was told was love and the way it was expressed wasn't always the way it was felt here. The, um, I could say, just trying to be a man of the street was tough and I tried to cover it up, but man, what happened was when I started putting them things in me, the violence and all of the things that went along with that came, came apart. I know y'all don't say it now, Johanna, Johanna says I'm a gentle teddy bear, but that's not who I was, I was a gorilla out there. And I'm not proud of it, but I'm no longer ashamed of it. It's just where I succumbed to that, that lifestyle. And it was, it was really problematic. But what happened, man, is I went through life, man, it was like, like a daze. And if you can remember the old black and white movies, remember the zombie and the black and white movies? That's the way I looked at, I look back in reflection now. I was here, but I wasn't really here. And I was just going straight, I felt like I was living in a, in a hell right here on earth. And what happened was, man, um, I'm living this life being a wannabe ghetto boy, wannabe tough guy, dealing in crimes and violence and this, that, and other. But this great preacher named Billy Graham, he used to come on every Saturday. And I used to hide from the guys and sneak off to hear Billy Graham. I used to hide from the guy, and I would go hear Billy Graham religiously. I would, I would have it in there. And the thing is, I don't know how it first happened, because prior to that, see, my father was not, he was against religion. My mother was, even though she was raised in a religious family, she wanted to satisfy her husband. So we didn't, we was that Easter Christmas type of uh, church goers. And, um, but, and we did a little bit more of that. But what happened was the religious dogma that was going on in the churches that we were a part of, it broke me, and I wanted no part of church. So what, the streets and the violence and all that stuff became who, who I, I, I thought I wanted to be. But what happened, man, was I lived that life, and, it, and I don't want to glorify it, but it was just that life that I was living, and I know today that the gentle guy that y'all see today has always been here, but the fake and phony was clashing with the gentle guy. And it was, it, my mind was just lost, and I was 
totally consume these things to just continue to, to try to keep it at bay. But I, I was in school and my girlfriend got pregnant. And when she told me that, I froze and then I was elated. And then she told me, baby, I'm gonna go to grad school. My plan is to go to grad school and I'm gonna be a speech pathologist and audiologist. I can't have this baby. I cried like a baby. First time I probably cried, and I don't know how long. And I said, I'll do whatever I have to do. I'll drop out of school, I'll do, I'll do everything. We've got to have this baby. And we went on and she just, that was her decision. And I called myself being a good boyfriend and I took her to the place to have the abortion. When I took her and came back from that abortion, I thought I had living in hell, I went straight to hell right there because I, I, I told myself and I know now that I killed my child even though it was her choice, and I think I'm not letting her do it alone, I participated, I killed my child. That life that I was telling you that was bad, it went over a cliff and I went straight down, and I went straight down. And what happened, man, was uh, this, a couple years later, the same thing happened again. I didn't take the young lady, another girlfriend, didn't take it, didn't happen. What happened though, man, that pain was so good that I tr it was so deep. I, I said, I can't take this life anymore. And I tried to take my own life. I tried to take my life, y'all, and what happens? God said no. He said no, guys. And the dogma that, I was, that, I, that had me trapped, the pain that I was living in, and all of these things combined, for the first time in my life, I raised my hand to him. I dropped down on the knees and I said, you can't even freaking kill yourself right. That's how low I felt. And I put my hand up and said, God, take this away from me, please. And I had said words like that before, but I know today it's because I said it in my heart. He took it away. January the 3rd, 1994, I, that was the last day I ever put anything like that in my body. You know what I'm saying? Not one day. And it was by his grace, it was by his grace that that, that, that manifested. But what happened, man, I, 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 I went to this 12-step program and, and it helped me get clean and I'm doing this thing and, you know, and, but I still wouldn't get into God. But what happened, I got clean, now these things are out of me and the hole that I felt seemed like I was, I was aware of it a whole lot more. And what happened was I didn't know that I was searching for God. But what happens, once again, I'm clean. I've got two years clean, trying to do the right thing, wasn't in church or anything like that. I'm engaged to this woman. Engaged, we got a house, we live in this life. She gets pregnant. You know what happened, she had an abortion. She said, I'm too old, I'm not gonna have another child. And when that manifested, that hole opened up. And I said, okay, God, I need you. Because I'm thoughts of hurting myself, the thoughts of the violence the devil was throwing at me and all of that stuff, all of those things that were, sorry guys, all of the things that were going, all of the things that were uh, negative in my life at that time, the devil was like pushing it back into memory, even the things that were gone. So what happened, what happened was I really reached out to God and, and, um, and somebody had asked me to go to church with them and I told them no many times before. And then this particular day, they asked me one more time, and I went, and I went to church. And, um, and I went to church, and, and, and for the first time in my life, 
I'm at a church, it was like this, and the pastor said, after worship, the pastor said, why do we go to church? And I looked around the room, and there's a lot of, just like this, a lot of people, various ages, and this, that, and other, and different levels, of, and they, they walked, and, no, and nobody said anything. And then he says, well, gangs, I'm gonna need to tell you, the choir robes are great. The, you say, you say the, um, the stained glass windows, they're pretty, and he went through a couple of examples that we did a lot of people do in church. He said, but none of that have anything to do to God. He said, we go to church for us to collectively worship the, worship the Lord. At 36 years old, I had never heard that one time. That was the beginning of my walk, really the beginning of my walk. You know, and I got baptized as a little kid by mama through Lutheran church, but um, I got baptized because I found out what baptizing was because the way they made us think that baptizing was being saved. You know, where that time was supposed to be my public display of me accepting him as my Lord and Savior. And I did that out in the open. And, and what happened was my life changed. There's no perfectionist living here. There's no perfection here. Apart from God, I ain't nothing but the dirt under my shoe. But I'm going to tell you like this. God took all of this pain, all of the crime, and all of those things, and he manifested. With that 66-book love letter, the death of his son on the cross, you know, and a fellowship like this. I don't live like that anymore. I am a new creation. I am a new creation. My friend Natasha, know, we've been friends for a long time, she knows that my favorite verse is Matthew 6:33. Seek ye first the kingdom of God and all of his righteousness, then all these things will be added unto thee. That is my favorite verse. But what happens is I come to get another verse to come alongside that, and that's John 13. 34, 35, a new command I give you, says the Lord. Love one another as I have loved you. By this they will know that you are my disciple if you love one another. So when y'all see this big teddy bear giving you that hug, that's God's love coming from me. You hear what I'm saying? There's people. <laughs> I hated myself. I'm not joking. I hated myself because of all of those things. I wasn't looking for a God of love. I was looking for a God of forgiveness because that lifestyle, I'm telling you, and this is an abbreviated version, believe it or not, it took me so low, I didn't think I ever could be forgiven. But he took all that stuff, wrote it up, and threw it in the sea of forgetfulness. And he says, I know the plans I have for you. A plan not to harm you, but a plan for hope and the future. He's giving that to me. I love you guys, I love my brothers and sisters in Christ, but he tell me to take it out into the world. And one of the things we're doing here at Faith Fellowship is we're loving each other here, but we're trying to take this love outside of the church. If you can't love your brother, how can you love me, the Bible tells me. He loves us guys, and if he can take somebody like me and take me for the pit of hell that I was living in here and turn me into a child of God, just as his disciple, change me into this guy and allow me to be the vessel that other people can see his love. Man, anything is possible. I love the Lord and I love you guys. Thank you. I'd like to invite the worship team on. No, I'm just kidding. That was, that was great. Um, and, and yeah, and we're going to talk about this today. We're going to continue and think about what is, the, what is the pull of the world? How does the world kind of pull us in to kind of a, a life that Theron was describing there? How, how we go about these things and how we live these lives.
and how we are now to, to live as new creations in this world. How we go about our, our conversations. Hold on, let me get technology is not always fun. It needs to find me to open. Um, but how we go about all these things and everything in our lives and everything that we do. All right, well, there we go. All right, so if you have your scriptures, we're going to turn and we're going to open up in the, in the we're going to begin in 1 John chapter 2. And as you're turning there, I'm going to open us up uh, with a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this time to come. And Lord, we thank you for Theron and the way that we see you work in his life. Lord, we thank you for how we see you work in all of our lives. How you bring us out of this world of darkness into a place of beauty. Into forgiveness through your son, Jesus Christ. Lord, be with us today as we discuss these ideas of what it means to live in this world, Lord. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. So as we've been going through this series, we've been hitting a lot of different topics. And I thought it would be kind of good to review that and see the journey that we've taken. We understand that as the church was growing, they were having these issues and trying to understand how they were to live in this world. And that's what, as I've said before, a lot of the letters that we have in the New Testament are about how to live in this world. So as we've gone through this, we've talked about things like Christian freedom. What does it mean that we have freedom as believers? We talked about biblical marriage. We talked about family structure. All of this is aligning ourselves as we grow in Christ. We talked about divorce, and we continued, and we talked about loving others. We talked about our, our speech. We talked about our time and money, how that brings glory to God. We talked about then studying of the word, and then last week we heard about sharing our faith. And, and, and all these things, as we grow in Christ, these things become more centered in our lives. And that's been the hope of this series, to look through those things and to think about, as we grow, what should we see in our lives? What areas should we be growing in? Where should we be challenged? And as we turn to this idea now of our, our testimony in this world, we're going to read from the Scriptures and, and see the pull of this world. And we're going to read all these things as we come together. So... Follow along as we turn to the book of 1 John, and we're going to see what is this about the world. In verse 15, he begins and he writes this, Do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh and the desires of the eyes and pride of life is not from the Father, but, does not, but is from the world. And the world is passing away along with its desires, but whoever does the will of God abides forever. So the Apostle John is going through these things, and it comes, I think, as no surprise to think about the society that we live in, a self-seeking society, a society that is opposite to the things of God. And in this passage, John is going to warn us about the dangers of this world. He's going to say in this section, do not love the world. Now, I must admit that as I went through Bible college and stuff in seminary, I never studied the Greek language. I have to admit it was uh, at Emmaus, it was the 8 a.m. class. And that immediately was like, no. Um, but luckily, through a lot of technology, we have some great resources that can help us and to study the word and, and know what is happening uh, within this language. And when you break down the, 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 
the kind of the construction of this sentence, what he's coming across and saying really is kind of this idea of stop loving the world. It's this picture that some of the people that he is writing to have already kind of fallen captive to the things of the world. And it's kind of this reminder that we see even in 1 Corinthians. As Paul is writing, he says in 1 Corinthians 10, 12, he says, Therefore, let any of you think that he is standing tall, take heed, lest he fall. So as you're thinking that you're standing tall in your faith, you're thinking that you have the strength to stand firm, be careful because the pull of the world is right there and it's going to pull you in its desires. We can think of the temptations of this world, the places where we stumble as we go about our lives. John will expand on this idea of the world. He says, if anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. John lets us know that the love for the world and the love for the Father are complete opposites. They are things that don't go together, kind of like pineapple and pizza. Anybody with me? All right, I think everybody's with me on that one. Say no. But I was thinking about that, and I was thinking back to, to James chapter 4. And in verse 4, he says, You adulterous people, do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself to be an enemy of God. Have you ever looked at yourself and thinking of the ways of this world and considered yourself then an enemy of God? That is such strong language. To think of the, the opposite there and thinking that you are against this holy God. It's just a hostile, hostile word to use there. One of my professors from Emmaus, as he was writing about this section, and John was describing this pull of the world, and he says this. He says, John tells us that everything is prohibited for the Christian that competes with the love for the Father. Anything, even in its innocence and safe in appearance, that chills his heart towards God. Any affection toward a person that hinders him or her from doing God's will is touched with worldliness. Anything that, that gets in the way of having the Father be number one in our life has the touch of worldliness. It's something that pulls us apart from God. So then the natural thing to think about as he's talking about this world is, all right, what is the dangers of the world? What is he warning us about? Well, he goes on and explains in this passage. If you'll see there, the first thing he mentions there is the lust of the flesh. Here is a talking of a strong desire. It's actually the same word that Paul will use in 1 Thessalonians, where he's talking about his desire to come and to see them. But here, obviously, it's in a negative sense. It's this desire of the flesh, this strong desire to pull away from the things of God. Tony Evans explained it this way. He says, eating is legitimate. Agreed? All right, everybody agreed that. We're Faith Fellowship Church. We definitely agree with that. But he says then, gluttony is worldly. He says, sex is legitimate, but immorality is worldly. So there are these good passions and these good desires that we have, but when we take them to the worldly sense, they become this thing of evil. They become this way of the world. We take some of these natural blessings and we turn them in to something worldly. 
The next thing that John writes, it says, the lust of the eyes. Sinful in its corruption is this idea of coveting, seeing something you cannot have. Remember back to Matthew 5 where Jesus says, if your eyes are causing you to sin, pluck them out. Get rid of them. Get rid of what is causing you to stumble and fall into the ways of this world. Remember Eve in the garden, as she saw the fruit, what does it say? She saw that it was pleasing to the eye. Think back then to David's sin with Bathsheba. As he was looking out on the roofs, he saw and saw that she was beautiful. The lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes. And then lastly, he says, the pride of life. Boastful arrogance. One commentator wrote it, said, keeping up with the Joneses, if you know that phrase. Keeping up with the things of this world. Trying to seek after having the best in this life. Seeking to impress others. You know, as I was reading on these things, one commentator summed up all this in one beautiful and simple phrase. He says, he sums it up this way. The ways of this world is the wrong interests, the wrong passions, and pride. As we look at those things and we see the pull of the world, where do our interests lie? Where do our passions lie? Where is our pride? What do we put our pride in in this world? Do we have the same interests, the same passions as God? Do we put pride in God himself and not in the things of this world? You see, there are two people here in this room. There are people who are following the ways of the world, and there's people who have been saved from this world. If you are lost and you have no hope, you are that enemy of God. Romans, though, tells us that while we were still enemies with Christ, he died for us. There's others in this room who have heard the call, the call to follow me. And that's where Theron found himself. He found himself chasing those wrong desires, chasing those wrong passions, finding the wrong pride in life. But then Christ broke through and he heard the call to follow Christ. As he attended church that day, he understood the gospel message. He understood where he stood in his sin. And he knew that he needed the forgiveness that comes in Jesus Christ. And that's the lesson for us today is where do you find yourself? Are you lost in the ways of this world? Have you considered all that Christ has done for you to save you, to pull you out of those depths of hell? Because if you're not saved, that's the reality, that you are on your way to hell when you leave this earth. There is a strong pull for eternity forever. And that's where verse 17 comes into play. And verse 17 says, And the world is, is passing away with all of its desires. But whoever does the will of God abides forever. The thing to remember is that the things of this world are not the things that last. They are not the eternal things. Those passions and those lusts and those desires and the pride of life, it all leaves the moment your eyes close in this world. It all passes away and then you're struck with eternity forever. Jonathan mentioned last week that we shouldn't fear the one who can kill, but think about the one who can control and holds eternity in your hands. That's where we fall, and that's the call to follow Christ, and that's the call that Theron felt. So if we are to avoid this world and flee from this world and rid ourselves of this world, the answer is that we all become nuns and monks, right? 
Anybody signing up for that? Not one person? All right, I, I thought this was going to be a simple message. All right, so nobody wants to go off and hide yourself from the world, right? And we know as we look to scriptures, that's not our call. That our call is to be in this world. That Jesus prayed in seven, John 17 that he wouldn't take us out, but leave us here in this world, protected in his spirit. So that's where I want us to turn to Matthew chapter 5 and think about as Jesus describes us as salt and light in the world around us. And as you're turning there, I want us to think about this passage as we're thinking of Jesus giving this teaching here in his Sermon on the Mount. As he is teaching everyone, he comes, then giving this long kind of discourse and going through everything, and he comes to these verses. And he's giving these instructions to his disciples here and letting them know how they will live here. So beginning in verse 13, he says, You are the salt of the earth. But if salt has lost its taste, how shall its saltiness be restored? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled under people's feet. He says, You are the light of the world. A city on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand, and it gives light to all in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others, so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. So here he is. This is probably a familiar passage for many of us. You've probably heard this many of times, this idea of being salt and light. It is a great parallel to understand how we are to live in this world. You see, salt had two main functions as you go through this, and it's much like it today. It's first was used kind of as an addition to food. Anybody love salting their food? All right, not many people. All right, we'll just take the salt out of the church and we're good to go. So as we go, you're all so healthy. I love putting salt on my fruit that I don't eat. Anyways, so here we have two main functions. That's one of them. And the other one was a preservative. Remember, they didn't exactly have this thing called electricity, these things called fridges, these things called freezers. So the salt would preserve their food. Salt was used to keep the meat from going bad. This would probably have been an idea very similar that the disciples knew about. Think about Peter, James, and John, and Andrew. They were all fishermen, right? So, so how would they probably protect their fish and they catch that every day? They'd probably pack them in ice, and not ice. That's what we would do today, in salt, and keep them fresh for the days. I remember the words of John earlier that the world is against God. Think about the, the context of this world as, as a state of corruption, as meat, right? As this thing that needs to be preserved, and it is the enemy of God. He says, we are salt. Notice that Jesus doesn't say that you should be salt. What's he say? He says that we are salt. We are in this world. Slowing down, you come and say, the, the rotting process. It doesn't mean that things won't rot, but things won't get as bad as they could. We have a, a positive effect on the culture surrounding us. As I was reading, I found this interesting article about life in the 1700s in England and in France. And in the 1700s, if you know a lot of history, it goes through the French Revolution. And there was a lot of just upheaval in France. And then it kind of compares it to, to life in England. And in England, they had their own little issues going on. But what this writer was talking about was that there was some salt 
within England, that there was some salt that was bringing forth the Word of God and protecting the nation. It talked about people like John Wesley or, or George Whitfield who would go about preaching through the country. It's actually kind of funny was when we were in college, uh, my one roommate had, uh, I guess, the diary or a journal of John Wesley and Kind of every night before bedtime, we kind of had a little story time, I guess you would say, and we would just kind of read through kind of his journal and his diary and just kind of hearing like him talk about, I was preaching here and I was preaching here and I was on horseback and thousands were saved and all these things and understanding what this writer was talking about is saying this was the salt to them. And if you know in England, it becomes one of the, the central areas for the growth of Christianity early on in those countries. In the same way today, we need to be the salt in our country. We need to be the salt that stands out for everything. But see, Jesus also gives a warning, and he warns us not to lose our saltiness. Now, the salt in this area often came from some of the marshes around the Dead Sea, and it had its like imperfections in it, and it would lose its saltiness, and when it lost its saltiness, it would just, like it says here, be tossed out, just to be trampled on upon people, and people would just have it on the roads. It became useless. And again, as I was studying this, Tony Evans gave a great analogy to this. And he says, the tragedy in our world today is not that sinners sin. He says, sinners are supposed to sin. He says, the job description of the sinner is to sin. He says, watch out for sinners that don't sin. He says, the real tragedy is that the Christians are sinning. He says the salt is losing its saltiness. That we become almost meshing with the world. We get pulled in and we're no longer that salt that stands out. We're not that salt that is preserving this culture because we just become one with the culture. Then, his next analogy. He comes in and he says, you're not just to be salt, though you're also to be light. And this is kind of something hard for us maybe to understand because we don't get like the full darkness of Jesus' time. Has anybody just really gone camping out in the middle of nowhere with no light? Yeah, Theron's like, I don't. (laughs) So, but as you go out there and you realize it, how dark it really is and how dark it would have been in Jesus' time and how dangerous it was to even travel house to house probably at nights. They had no street lights. The darkness was not a place that you want to found yourself. And remember how Scripture talks about the darkness of the world. That that stands for the sin of this time. In Romans 13, Paul talks about the darkness and the works of the world as being dark. We live in a broken and lost world. But like a lighthouse, we are to shine over the darkness. We are to shine in this world and be seen as different. We are to look and reflect Christ. You know, the the, the story goes, you know, the moon doesn't shine in itself. All the moon does is is reflect the light from the sun. And, And that's what we do. We don't shine in ourselves. We are the ones who reflect the light of Christ. And then we realize as we look at Matthew 5 and realize at the end, we realize the purpose for us being salt and the purpose for us being light. Remember back in 1 John 2, it was the pride of life, right? The the pride of this world. But here Jesus says, 
It's really all to give glory to the Father. Everything points to him, to give glory to our Father who is in heaven. A lot of times people will complain. Maybe you're at your work and maybe you've said, I'm the only Christian there. Well, Maybe you can look at that as a, a good thing. That God has called you to be the salt and the light to that area. Think about if you leave, then there's no Christians there. And how things could change in that aspect. I'm going to invite the worship team to come up as we get ready to close. And as I thought about all these things, I thought about this idea and our salvation. And thinking about where God has called us to be this light. Where does God call you to be this salt? Maybe you're the salt within your own family. Maybe you're the the light within your family. As we reflect back on on Jonathan's message last week, where are you to share that word of testimony? Where are you called to share the gospel so that you can shine and give forth the glory of Christ? It's a challenge for us. It's a challenge that we all have. That we want to be involved in our communities. We want to be involved in the world around us. But we don't want to feel the draw and fall into the desires and the passions of this world. Because we know that if we do that, we make ourselves an enemy of God. But he wants us to be salt and light. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you. Lord, we thank you for our brother Theron. We thank you for the testimony of how you have worked in his life, of the things that you brought him through and brought us here now to be our teddy bear, to be our our, our loving and brother in Christ, Lord. Lord, we're thankful for all those that you've brought here, Lord. We all have our own journeys and path that you've brought us on. And it was a path that led us to your son. Lord, the Father's love is great for us. Help us to see that every day. Help us then to share that every day as well. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.